Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. Food bloggers, don't forget to check out the food blogging forum style community that we started over at forum.eatblogtalk.com. Finally, there's one place that we can all convene and talk and that isn't scattered all over Facebook. Here are the things that I am loving about it. It is free. It also allows for categorized discussions on all food blogging topics And there's a category for sharing successes, aka self-promotion. So no more holding back about discussing your big wins and things that you're promoting. Also, everything is in one single spot. So no hopping around from group to group. And there's an amazing opportunity to network and really get to know your fellow food bloggers in a single place. So come join the discussions that are going on over at forum.eatblogtalk.com. And I hope you enjoy this as much as I do. Don't forget forum.eatblogtalk.com. Food bloggers, are you needing a few extra hours in your week? One of my favorite services that saves me at least two hours a week is Instacart. Instacart is an online grocery shopping and delivery service, and it has changed my life. No more navigating through busy grocery stores while my boys beg me for another treat. My groceries appear at my door within hours of placing an order, and placing orders is a total breeze. If your life is as busy as mine, and I know it is, this service will save you. Get $10 off your yearly membership by using my affiliate link. Visit eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources to grab the link. Instacart, the smartest way to grocery shop. What's up, food bloggers? Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, the podcast made for food bloggers seeking value for their businesses and their lives. Today, Bethany Smith and I from foodblogusability.com will have a discussion about seeing our content through the eyes of the user. Specifically, we'll cover the heart framework and what that means for bloggers. Bethany helps food bloggers by taking a deep dive into the hows and whys of communicating and connecting with their followers. She focuses on the concepts around user experience design and how to make blogs user-friendly. Bethany has a background in web design, digital content, marketing, and management. I'm strangely giddy to hear you shed light on this topic, Bethany, but first give us a, another fun fact about yourself. Yes. So my fun fact this time is that I used to work as a sports reporter. Um, it was when I was working for the newspaper here in Portland, Oregon, their website. And so we did a lot with high school sports and some with basketball. We have the Blazers here. So it's kind of a random chapter in my life. That is random. I think we all have those random things that we look back and we're like, how did I get there? But <laughs> It makes us well-rounded, right? (laughs) Yeah, well, and that was really like a lot of my introduction to kind of creating content and doing it digitally because this was, this was like, actually it was 20 years ago now. So we were just really trying to figure out how you would bring this stuff online and on websites and what people were interested in. And so one thing we found out was that like with high school sports, people were really interested in that, but the daily newspaper didn't have enough paper, I guess, like to really cover it. And so we started doing that really in depth. And so a lot of interesting things kind of happened during that time too. So Yeah. And look at it now. It's all online now. <laughs> yep. Now there's like not even newspapers. Really, I know. So. Exactly. Well, thanks for sharing that. Super interesting to learn that about you. So the user experience design obviously is an extremely relevant topic. And I'm really grateful that you are willing to chat about this today with me because a lot of food bloggers were left with spinning heads in 2019, as you know, after what seemed like endless Google updates and algorithm changes. It seemed like every other day we were hearing about something else that came out. So we're all kind of left wondering how to make sense of what just happened and how to move forward after these stages of loss and grief that most of us endured because of traffic loss. So I'm 
eager to hear your thoughts on how this relates to user experience design and what this means for us. Can you shed some light on it for us, Bethany? Yeah, I mean, I think just overall taking the focus off SEO so much as the, like a lot of food bloggers have that as pretty much their only income stream. Um, Maybe there's a few others that you make a little money from. But so then when something like this happens or your top recipe falls to the second page or whatever happens, like it has such a huge impact. Like I listened to one of your podcasts from a couple months ago that talked about you've had that happen a few times over the years. Um, So I think just, you know, you can use user experience to really think through um, what you're offering um, that goes beyond just trying to get ad revenue from SEO and what users really want. And we'll, I mean, we'll go into that through here, but I think just kind of broadening the picture beyond just this like Google SEO ad revenue, um, system, because it's something that you just don't have a lot of control over. You can't control what Google does and, that like that's not a good position for your business to be in no and it's I mean honestly it's confusing and it's as I'm speaking in this very moment it's my main point of frustration because we just never know what's coming and like not knowing what the user wants because we're told so many times by SEO experts to load our content up with questions that are relevant to the recipe and to include step-by-step photos that will provide visuals for the user and all those other things that they recommend. But then we find sites like Food Network and Taste of Home and all recipes of all places landing those top ranking positions in Google, which none of those have any of that information. So then we're just like, what is going on? What are we supposed to include? I don't even know what my user wants anymore. I think I have a handle on it after listening to somebody talk and then I go employ all of that. And then something happens and it's like, wait a second, that doesn't seem like what my user actually wants. So it's like, I'm just left so confused and I know a lot of other people are as well. So I I totally understand what you're saying, like thinking beyond the, the ad revenue because we do need to get into the mind of our user, but what in the world are they wanting? <laughs> well, yeah, I think that especially when it's SEO focused, it, like you kind of hear these different pieces and think, oh, I should. The, I mean, the question answering, I think a lot of that comes from where Google co- pulls up those specific questions. And so doing some of that for SEO, if you can get your link there, I think that's where that advice is coming from a lot. Although, I mean, users do want questions answered, but is it every user that wants that? No. Some users that are going to Google, a lot of them just want the recipe, right? Some of them want to know how to make it and have all these questions answered. So, it, I, I mean, different users want all of these things, right? So, if you're looking at, or even me in any given situation, I may want different things. Sometimes I already know the recipe, how to make it, I just need the actual recipe. Sometimes I need to know more about how to make it. Sometimes I have a question about if I can freeze something. So the same user may have different um, like intent on what they're searching for in a different day. Right? Depending on, yeah, depending on the day or if they're on their phone or their desktop maybe. So my question is, is there a creative way to present both? Is there a way that we can present just the recipe and then maybe like, you know, offer the answers to all those questions and step-by-step photos without being intrusive to their experience? How can we deliver both and like cater to both needs depending on the day that they're looking? Yeah, I mean, I think the jump to recipe is a is a good idea, having that on there. I think, well, I think even just getting out of this mindset of what you're asking like so if we go through the heart framework I know that the heart framework is something that people are talking about more and more and it seems to be more important than ever it seems to be what Google is coming back to with its heavy focus being on the user so why don't you take us through that Bethany yeah and so it's not something that comes out of Google as far as a search engine um you know, like sometimes they've given advice about 
different things and said, this is kind of how our algorithm works, or these are the, are the things you should be concerned about. It, the heart framework didn't come out of that kind of messaging. It came out of Google when they're trying to create products, different products, especially digital products, because they really, and this is one thing to think about as a food blogger too. I feel like a lot of food bloggers are really focused on the blogging part. Um, and it'd probably be beneficial to step back and really think about what kind of your core message is and how you can take that into other, like other places that aren't specifically writing a blog post. I mean, I, I think your website, your blog should always be the backbone of what you have, but there's so many other things out there. So Google, for instance, when we hear Google, we often think about search, but they have all these other products like Gmail, Google Docs, all sorts of things that I forget often are Google. So they kind of know what their core thing is. They work on these digital products. Um, anyway, so the Heart Framework came out of when they were trying to develop these and try to come up with a way to measure the user experience um, throughout all of these things. Um, so it's each letter stands for something, H-E-A-R-T. And so it's happiness, engagement, adoption, retention, and task success. So I thought maybe we could talk about each one, but actually start backwards. So start with task success first. And I don't think they're especially in order because you need all of them to really have a holistic view. But I think task success will answer the questions you were asking me really well. So basically you need to think about, because this is what you were asking, what the user is trying to accomplish, right? So what is the task and how can they succeed doing it, right? So if their task is to ultimately make the recipe, right, which it's that's probably the ultimate task the majority of the time, can they do that? So can they find the recipe? Can they find the recipe card? Is the recipe easy to use? And that can take a variety of forms. So say somebody already has made one of your recipes and they go to your blog and can they search for it? Like, is your search bar available? Can they find it through your navigation easily? If they enter just from Google or Pinterest, how easy is it for them to get to the recipe, to read the ingredients, to see if they need to make it? So that's what I talk to people a lot about is just making sure the recipe card is really easy to find and to use. Um, a lot of food bloggers have it where it kind of blends in and it's it's not even with the jump to recipe button it's hard to find so you are you talking visually so when people yeah. scroll by it they kind of miss it because they there's no dis, like it does it's not distinguished enough yes yeah okay. visually it doesn't stand out on many food blogs so that's something that i don't think many people thought of right but that helps with the task success if people can really see it. And a lot of people complain, I just have to scroll and scroll. And like, I do this all the time, I miss the recipe card. It's like, just make it really stand out. And within task success, there's also, I feel like that's weird to say, task success. Yeah. I try to say that 20 <laughs> times fast. There's all these little like micro tasks that I kind of started to talk about. So do you have a search bar? Can they find the search bar? Can they use the search bar? So there's all these things to get to the ultimate one. Um, within food blogging too, it's interesting because oftentimes people will come to a recipe and just want to look at the ingredients and then they save it for later, right? Often people aren't searching for a recipe and then making it right then because maybe you have to go to the store. Maybe you're planning a menu or, you know, whatever. So there's kind of the pre-task. scoping out. Yeah, like, yeah. Being able to see the recipe. And I think that's where people get frustrated a lot is they're like, well, I don't even know if I want to make this recipe yet. So if SEO wasn't a factor at all, you may set up your blog differently and have, I know you I just saw your post somewhere else about um, you moved one of your recipe cards mm. to the very top. Mm -hmm. And then that, um, that post you said dropped off Google. So, yep. <laughs> <laughs> but we, I mean, it may come back like you, you right. know, but if it, if it wasn't for search, like that may be the best user experience, right? I've not actually tested it doing that with real users or anything. Yeah, so just thinking, I think the first step is to really think about what do people want 
to accomplish, right? And it may be a little different for different food bloggers. Some people are really focused on just creating recipes. Some food bloggers are more about the process and teaching people how to do things. And um, so just having that in mind that people really want the recipe, like that's the goal, right? That's so the everything ultimate else goal. Yeah. is kind of just getting in the way. <laughs> so why is it then that places like All Recipes that has mostly crappy recipes can get to the top of Google searches. And then if I do the same test as a blogger and put my recipe card at the top, the copy all below, it falls off the face of the earth. Why is that? I mean, obviously the like backlinking and all recipes has for sure has me on that front. Is that, does that play a huge role? I mean, why is it so different? I'm not an SEO expert, but I would say a lot of it just has to do with how large the site is and that they I mean sure backlinks but just the amount of people who are clicking on it I think all recipes is a name I know in the food blogging world everybody says oh these are really bad recipes but from just a random person on the street I think it is a name that people somewhat trust like that you know they recognize it yeah they've been around forever yeah I've made a recipe from here before and it was successful um, if I type something in I tend to get random food blogs that come up right I mean even you know it's like I even still don't recognize all the food blogs that show up when I type in for a recipe so it's like I don't know that person from anyone I don't know this blog from anyone but I know all recipes like I've, I've heard of them there's a lot of user reviews on there you know so I can read through and see even if people are like, oh, change these five ingredients, then I'm like, okay, I'll just change those five ingredients. And, <laughs> you know, so I, you know, it's, it's hard to compete in the same way with some of those big names that just are going to have that recognition and people will click on it because they know. I mean, it's like if you're traveling and you want to go to a coffee shop, are you going to pick a Starbucks or are you going to pick some mom and pop shop that you know nothing about kind of a hard like you're like I sort of want the mom and pop but if you just really want like coffee you know what's going to taste like you'll Starbucks right like you're like maybe it's not the best but like I still know what I'm getting yeah that makes more sense and they really are difficult to compete with which I think is something that's really frustrating because we as food bloggers work so staying hard to put quality into our content. So then when a change happens and then all of a sudden all of these uh, bigger sites are like one, two, three, four, five, we're like, what? But I mean, it does, it makes sense, but then it's really frustrating. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I think that's why food bloggers just need to shift away from putting so much emphasis into Google and search engines, right? Because you, like, if you can build up a community of people through whatever. I mean, maybe they did first enter through a search engine and then they signed up for your email or on social and they trust you. I mean, I was actually doing some numbers where I mean, if you just have a thousand super, super loyal followers and say you have a meal plan and they're checking your website 25 times a month because all their meals come from your site, right? So 25 times a thousand. I'm really bad at math, but I think that's <laughs> 25,000, right? And so that gets you qualified for Mediavine. And that's just with a thousand people. Yeah. So a little just thinking differently can really pay off. And I, a lot of people are looking into diversifying income streams. And I know that you responded to a thread on this too. And I loved what you said, just like you can diversify on different revenue streams, but then you can also diversify within, you know, specific ones. And with all of these changes and so many bloggers relying so heavily on Google traffic, I think this year, in 2019, last year, a lot of bloggers were like, okay, this this is the time I need to diversify. Yeah, it's really important, I think, that we do that. But I loved what you said just now about if you have a meal plan and you have a, just a base of loyal followers who check it regularly, that right there is great traffic. So just thinking a little bit differently. Yeah, I mentioned the show notes and we were talking about, well, <laughs> so you, ha you have this forum that goes along with eat blog talk, right? And so that's where when we're referencing a message board, that's where 
Megan and I have been talking. So everyone get on there and you can also have these conversations with us. But we were talking about the Prepare app, P-R-E-P-E-A-R. And I, I've used it from the user side. I use it over the holidays. It's really easy for me to use. And it sounds like, you know, I don't know. I'm not a food blogger. So I haven't signed up from that perspective. But basically, it's an app for users who where I can save. I've been saving all of my recipes. I can connect with food bloggers that are on there, all of that. But but the reason why this is different than most of them out there like that is because it has ways to monetize it for food bloggers too. I feel like this, and maybe you can talk about how food bloggers can make some money from it. But because I hear a lot of complaints about sites like Copy Me That, or I used Plan to Eat a few years ago because food bloggers feel like they're losing revenue from it. But the thing is, like, that's what users want and need. You know, because it's like, if I have a recipe I love from you, how am I going to save it? How am I going to come back to it, right? So if there's not a way for me to do that, you know, like you're you're losing so much. That actually goes into, I feel like we're skipping around a lot. So hopefully people can try. That's that's okay. We'll we'll go back to the framework. We're kind of doing like a side note here. But no, it's good because we were talking about the fact that people come to our sites maybe once to scope out our recipes and then they don't really know how to save them if they want to come back and make them later. So this kind of leads into that. Places like Prepare. So this is something that I had looked into months ago and we kind of got it up slowly. You know, we're like, oh, let's put some recipes on here. There are quite a few food bloggers on there already. And the thing that makes it different is that you can actually earn revenue when people visit your recipes on their site. So that there's, as far as I know, there's nothing like that out there. There are definitely places that do the same thing, but you don't get the money for it. You might get a link back, but you know you don't actually get revenue. So I think it is really different from our perspective. And then it from a user standpoint, like you mentioned, it's really nice because people can go and they can save recipes and they're associated with images and you can do it from a, a group of different food bloggers so you don't have to stay on one site. So it's worth checking out and I was glad that I saw this in your show notes because my VA last week was like, what should we do about this prepare thing? Because we had kind of started and then I saw it in your notes and I was like, okay, we need to do, we need to do that because you mentioned that this is probably a good thing to get into with the user needing more, just the user needing a better experience and just having everything in one place. Yeah. Well, and it used to be, I mean, when food blogs started, there weren't really apps, right? We didn't have smartphones. We didn't Mm -hmm. have apps where you could do this. And people would just bookmark, like I would just bookmark your site, right? In 2007 or whatever, I just bookmark sites or whatever. And that's not really how people use the internet today. Like I do not ever really bookmark anything. I save things in my app or I was trying to think about how I do save things. I'm like, I don't know. I think I just follow people on social and assume I'll see their things. But I mean, we know people aren't seeing our things on social. And so, I mean, it's this whole complicated thing, but I do think an app like Prepare, and it's the only one I've seen that is doing this, and it does have, it's been really easy for me to use too. So I think, and they, I know they give a lot of tools to food bloggers. I think I'd already heard about it, but I was, I found a holiday recipe I was going to make. And then on that recipe card, they had a link that said, save this and prepare. Oh, okay. So I was like, okay, <laughs> like I'll do that. So yeah. And I know other food bloggers, it's kind of, it's, I mean, it's a newer one. And I think it's something that really people should start. I think it was on probably on that forum again, but when you were asking about it and I was said, it really should be thought of more of kind of an extension of your user experience rather than just another revenue stream for you. So like the kind of an extension of your blog is the way I would see it, right? The blog only allows certain things to happen, but then like with that button in the recipe card where it says, save it to prepare. I mean, that's awesome. And then hopefully that goes into retention, getting users to come back. Cause I think that's one of the places that food bloggers really miss 
a lot is the retention, which is to come back as part of the heart framework. At least providing that as an option, as an easy way to save recipes. And then if they like it, if the user likes that, then they might be more inclined to come back and save more recipes. So I think that we really can't lose. I've seen in a few Facebook forums that people were kind of skeptical and not just tossing around like whether or not it was a good thing to get into. And it was a little bit controversial. And so I'm glad that we brought this up. And again, just to spell it, it's P-R-E-P-E-A-R. And then um, Bethany and I keep referencing talking on forums. So just to uh, let everybody know where we're doing that. It's at forum.eatblogtalk.com. And we have a few discussions going on over there about prepare and also user experience. And I was doing some testing or experimenting with recipe cards and putting my recipes at the top of my post just to see what would happen. So if you want to join in on those discussions, you can go there. Okay. So Bethany, we have not gotten very far. So we kind of covered heart framework. We started from the back back end, which I like that you're doing because we can see like our end or the user's end goal and then kind of work backwards from there. So we covered task completion and we know that the user, like ultimately they want to make the recipe. That is their ultimate goal. So working backward, what comes before that? Yeah. So in the heart framework, the next one is retention, which is what we were just talking about. So the way most I mean, most food bloggers don't do a lot with retention, right? And it is hard on just a blog. That's why we were just talking about that app, um, because that's a great way to start retaining users. But, you know, people come in to your site off of Google, and there's very little being done. I know people have started using email more, which is a great way if you can get people to sign up to retain users. to retain users, to get them sign up to your email, you know, push them to social. Hopefully they'll see your stuff, right? So I think just really thinking that through to like stretch, structuring your site to have these calls to action where you're going to hopefully then start retaining some of these people that you're bringing in from SEO or from Pinterest or from wherever, um, because it's kind of this, like, you're just trying so hard to get to, say, number one on Google. And it's just this, like, okay, so you did that. And maybe your recipe stays there for three months. Well, then what are you doing with all of those people that are coming in from it? And most food bloggers are, like, nothing. Maybe they're going to my social page. Maybe they sign up for an email. But, you know, really thinking through your placement of how people can sign up for email or doing, you know, having a freebie so people want to sign up for it. Or, I mean, there's all sorts of things, right? Like, (laughs) this is all a lot of work, right? It is a lot of work. and (laughs) But there are huge missed opportunities because I get a lot of my traffic comes from Pinterest. So if people just right away look at my post and see that they don't want to come back for whatever reason and I don't grab their attention right away then they're not going to come back so just like figuring out what that is and then even if that means testing with pop-ups or sign up newsletter signups in or email sorry I know people don't like to use the word newsletter anymore email signups in your sidebar or in your footer or wherever just like testing playing around with that a little bit to see what works and what captures people and what doesn't yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say it's worth it to yeah make some of those email subscription options a little more in your face. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not as opposed to pop-ups as some people are. That's actually one of my sort of rants lately is that even people who say they don't use pop-ups are often using it in some sort of form. They're just not doing the traditional email subscription pop-up but they have a pop-up that comes up for those notification like to get the notifications in your browser and that's a pop-up or they have a pop-up for they you know they're on one of these ad networks that do pop-up videos for their advertising they're still saying like I don't do pop it's like well you do you're just not like not the way you're thinking of it and um but 
So I think if you use it, like, yes, it's disruptive to the user. Um, so just make it like as relevant and, and as applicable as possible. So, you know, like the, I'd much rather get a pop-up to sign up for an email that had a freebie that I kind of wanted, right, than to have some auto video playing ad pop-up, right? So, like, if that's the trade-off, as a user, I almost always am going to be like, yeah, hey, I do want this freebie thing, you know? So, it's just thinking through, like, the whole balance with all of that. If you do everything along the whole process, right, getting emails is going to be more effective and hopefully generate more revenue than having an ad video pop up, right? Because you're only getting like fractions of a penny, maybe a penny for each of that, right? But hopefully if you have someone's email, you can turn that into long-term revenue. So, okay. So retention, we grab their email somehow, that would be ideal, but also looking into things like prepare, things that make the user experience more friendly. And then also you mentioned pushing to social. Hopefully they can, if they get to social, hopefully they can see your recipes there. Who knows? Once we get a handle on how to retain, what comes before that step? Well, another thing on, on retention too, I was going to say with that and with social specifically, I see this a lot is you don't have to give everyone all the options, right? Like if you do a lot on Instagram, but you barely are ever on Facebook, maybe really focus your efforts on promoting your Instagram on your page or vice versa or whatever, instead of always having the links to all of them, right? Because the more choices people have, the more they're just going to kind of get lost. So you should really focus on like the few things where you want to push people to. So if it's your email list, focus on that. If it's Instagram, focus on that. You know, somewhere on your about page or footer or whatever, you'll have these other links or whatever. But the more you can really focus on driving people to one specific place, the better that will work. So don't have widgets popping out of everywhere regarding like every single different social platform plus email plus video plus uh, <laughs> notifications yeah it, it does get annoying when you go to sites and you're like no 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 and you're by the time you've clicked three or four you're like ah where why am I here again yeah but if I keep seeing follow me on Instagram eventually I'll be like well I guess they really want me to follow them on that's Instagram. true yeah I guess I'll do it <laughs> fine I'll follow you on Instagram <laughs> you annoyed me enough do you have any other thoughts on retention before we move on I think that's it just that I mean I would say this is probably the area I think food bloggers can improve quickly and should improve you're already getting people to your site like yeah figure out ways to retain them get the get them to follow you use prepare like do whatever right there's a different options for it so there's a lot of room for improvement in this area and a lot also a lot of uh, opportunity in this area okay so what comes before retention um so before that is adoption i do want to say like these are not necessarily in a specific order i think they kind of are but these in the middle specifically can be they probably just came up with a word that worked yeah right (laughs) um (laughs) so adoption which is what most food bloggers do really well which is really getting people to your site right so how are they going to find you is basically what adoption means so seo pinterest a lot of what people do on social falls under the adoption piece so i don't know that we need to talk about yeah, that yeah i a think lot. we're pretty skilled in that area <laughs> <laughs> i mean i feel like the takeaway is of this whole heart framework five letters so five different topics, there's one that most food bloggers are really skilled at, right? So there's four others. Yeah, that we need to work on. So before adoption is engagement. So talk to us about that. Yeah. And so I feel like that, especially on a blog, would go somewhat with retention. But, you know, engagement would be just do, do people actually make the recipe do people click to other pages in your site once they're on there can, do they look at other recipes too that do they look at your about page i know some blogs have a call to action to post on instagram or you know those types of things so that would be engagement is getting people to engage more so 
yeah, just really thinking about ways like related links, I think are really good for this. And most food bloggers have some of that, but just really thinking through what those are or if it's, well, holiday season, but also any holiday, right? Valentine's Day, St. Patrick's Day, Easter, Passover, whatever. Like maybe you want to switch out your related links to those types of recipes. So they're really relevant at that time. And that should increase your engagement, which helps your, you know, which will then help users get more get more engaged with you. Get, but yeah. <laughs> they'll, they'll be more like, oh, this person has a lot of great content. I want to go follow her on social or I want to start saving some of these recipes or I'll come back later, you know, once they're able to see what else is there. And it increases your page views. Google likes this type of stuff too, right? Seeing people are engaging and spending more time on your site. Um, so there's just really a lot of benefit with it. And people, if they're happy with the recipe, they will come back and maybe leave a comment or a rating. Personally, I rarely comment on blogs, so I kind of forget that that is a really important piece because when I go to make a recipe, I want to see comments and ratings. So that probably is the like largest engagement piece that food bloggers should really be trying for is getting you know some sort of star rating and people actually doing that on your site it's funny it used to be where people would do that a lot more than they do now some of my really older popular posts have hundreds and hundreds of comments but most of my new content have like five or less so people just don't do that anymore because social it's so easy to go on there and say this was great but as far as like going back to the actual blog post and doing it, it's just kind of a dying thing. Yeah, it's switched to social. So, and that's, I mean, that's across the board. That's not just food blogs, right? So any comment sections on blog news article anywhere. Um, yeah, like once, it's just funny the progression of things over time with the internet because like I said 20 years ago we had these separate forums for sports and there were no comments on blog posts that wasn't even a thing at first and then like so everybody gets so mad in the forums and all that stuff and then it shifted where you could post on the articles in the comment section everybody's doing that and then social came out and everybody's posting on social but now it's shifting back almost to the forums are getting more popular again because everybody's like well it's so spread out on social how can we get it like in one place? And so it's going back. <laughs> it's all over the place, but it is kind of a shifting, constantly moving thing that we just have to kind of roll with, right? Yeah. Well, and I think again to an app like Prepare, and I, I mean, neither of us are affiliated with it. I think it's just a really good example. And hopefully there'll be another app like this that pays food bloggers too and there'll be some competition in it but really like thinking about this is where things are at now this is what users are using is apps and because you can rate recipes on there too and so then everything's like in that space right it just combines everything like social media doesn't combine everything I just think for like this moment in time an app like that is kind of like where things need to be like that's where users are at and what they're using right now and I have to give a shout out to SideChef because I've been working with them forever pretty much since I started my blog and they do the same kind of thing they have an app where they pull in a bunch of different content from different bloggers so it's all you know you get a variety but you it's all in one place and they have some unique features that just make them stand out. So I really love them. So if you are interested in being a part of SciChef or, you know, I'm like you said, Bethany, I'm sure that more people will come into the game now that we're finding that this is probably what the users are really yeah. wanting at this moment in time. So I'm sure that we'll start seeing more come in. But yeah, I think as a food blogger, just be like, be aware, be like, look, look for those types of things that you can start getting on and telling your users about and if you're one of the first people on an app like prepare or something you'll probably get a lot more followers than when everybody starts getting on it right, right. so <laughs> it's in your best interest to kind of get into some of these things early on I like that that's a great recommendation to go along with the theme of engagement you mentioned before having 
kind of a shout out at the end of a post maybe that says, hey, if you try this recipe, hashtag me on Instagram or something like that. Do you recommend doing more things like that? Like I thought of YouTube, for example. Do you recommend saying, hey, go check out my recipes over on YouTube? So I think the thing with it is that people kind of want to stay where they are. So telling people to go over I mean, it's actually, so the one with Instagram is actually kind of a complicated ask, right? Because you're asking somebody once they've made the whole recipe and it's out of the oven or whatever. So they may not even be looking at the recipe anymore because they put it into bake for 20 minutes or whatever it is, right? To then take a picture and then find this link to go to Instagram and post it. And we all know posting on Instagram isn't quite as easy as it seems like it should be. <laughs> and tag you it like there's a lot of steps to it so I think that those sort of calls can be really overwhelming for something off that same platform so if it's on your blog I'd say using that space to be like remember to make a comment or even to sign up for an email because just you know people can just type their email in there it's not really asking them to go to whole other platforms and take pictures and do all these things you know um so i think anything you can think of that's going to be keep them on the blog keep them just kind of right there and something they can do hopefully immediately it is hard with recipes because people got have to kind of come back once they've made it yeah and to ask them to go to another platform off of your blog find me there <laughs> you know it's like I didn't think of it like that. So that's a really good point. Like that's a really complicated structure to make people go through. <laughs> yeah. Well, and remember the hashtag. And so just eliminate like as many steps as you can. And I know when I'm on on my phone, which is where I look up most things, you know, if I'm on a recipe or something, I'm like, well, if I click on this to Instagram, it's going to open my Instagram app and then I'm going to get distracted. And then, you know, it's like, I just want to stay here and make this recipe. So I think using that for either an email and ask for an email sign up or an ask for um, leaving a comment uh, or rating the recipe, or if you have a product you're selling, you know, hey, you like this, buy my book on making bread or you know uh whatever so i think i think it's a really good idea to use that kind of space and that idea but just really think through what you're actually asking that person to do and um and i think everyone should come up with at least a moment in time like these next three months i'm focusing on getting more email subscribers and i'm focusing on selling my book and so that's those are the only two things you're really putting out there in your blog posts and in your sidebars and all of that stuff. So it's really focused into those two things, which makes it easier for the user, but also for you because you're not trying to do 50,000 things. And you're not trying to keep track of it all. It's just simplifying it for you and the user. On to step one, which is happiness. So talk to us about that. Yes, and I know happiness sounds very like... I mean, honestly, I wish it was a different term because to me, I'm like, I don't, I mean, I guess I want them happy, but like, how do you even measure that, right? Um, so a lot of what feel, what falls into this is just things about how people feel when they are using your product. So the, the design of it, the, just how easy it is to find everything, if it feels professional or not, you know, a lot can go into this sort of thing, right? People that have to scroll a long time to find a recipe and there's all these ad pop-ups and different pop-ups, they're, like they're not happy about that, right? So a lot of this gets overlooked, I think, because people are focusing on changing content or, you know, updating your content all the time but some basics within this would be just making sure your colors work really well, making sure your fonts work really well, that sort of thing. And then you can use a tool like Hotjar that will measure, you can do heat maps with that to um, see how users are actually using your site. Um, there's a way through that tool to put, um, like get actual feedback uh, from users on what they like or what they don't like. So those are ways to kind of measure some of that just overall I mean there may be something that you think 
is makes sense where it is, but it's really, you know, like maybe moving the recipe card to the top actually just confused users because you were the only person who's ever done that, right? <laughs> and it's the so, only one on your site that is like that. <laughs> right. It's, it's like, well, maybe that's sort of a good idea, but then you find out users are just getting more confused than not confused, right? So um, happiness covers all all of that sort of stuff and really the design and flow of your site and just how people feel using it, which sounds weird, but I mean, definitely go to sites that feel better, mm-hmm. like they feel easy to use and then some feel hard to use. I like that you mentioned colors too, because that is such a simple thing. And last time I talked to you, you gave me some recommendations as far as just like changing my font color. I had a really light gray and maybe that's a turnoff for people who don't have 2020 vision or, you know, it could be something just so simple like that and making a change could be a drastic change for the better. So I like that you pointed out all of this stuff. And then would you mind, you mentioned Hotjar and I know you had mentioned this to me a few months ago and I went and actually tested it out, but what are, can you explain what heat maps are and how that works? Um, so there's a couple different ones but so there's ones that are kind of like click heat maps so where people are clicking like click the mouse or tapping um, if you're on the phone so you can see what links people are actually clicking on I mean you can kind of see that through you know if you're in your google analytics and you see what pages go to but I mean it's really interesting when you're looking at say your home page and you can look at this heat map that has, it'll have in red, say your top featured recipe because everybody's clicking in there. And so there's this bright red dot over that link because everyone's clicking there. And as you scroll down, because people don't always scroll, scroll to the bottom, right? You'll see fewer and fewer clicks. And so it just makes it very visual and very easy to see where people are clicking on. And maybe there's something you think people love and it's, Nobody Never ever gets touched. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there's one for just scroll, like the scroll rate, how far down. And so at the top, it's, you know, 100% really red. And as you go to the bottom, it gets more blue, which means not as many people are scrolling down there. So it just puts a visual to basically yeah. the numbers that you see in Google Analytics. But I think a lot of us are visual people. So, so when you sent me in that direction and I had never seen that before but I was like that is so cool because you can see like you were saying exactly what's red what's hot what people are tapping on the most and that talks to me more than seeing numbers I just like my brain doesn't work that way so I think it's worthwhile just to see and get a feel for what people are tapping on the most what else do you have for us about happiness so yeah, I think like you said, the colors, you mentioned that, I think that's important because you need to make sure people can see because some of these grays, even the default templates that a lot of people use are not set up very well for this. So grays typically need to be darker. The colors that people are using, I mean, there's so much you could dive into this so much, right, too, because there's whole like color theories and what you should use for specific things and all of this stuff, right? But, you know, kind of bolder colors typically do well because they are easier to see and they know like people may love blush pink, but it's just hard to see, right? And I don't know if blush pink is really the best color for a food blog anyway, because like most food is not that color, you know? So it's like just thinking, you know, and you of course can work with a designer who hopefully knows some of this, but if you're just doing it on your own, just take some time to go around and look at major food blogs, but even just major any brand, and see what their colors are because you'll see they almost all use very similar colors. Yeah, bold. I like the ones, just a personal preference for me. I like the blogs that use the really bold colors. And you're right, a blush pink doesn't necessarily go with food, I don't think. So staying away from those gray or like just very non-bold tones of color yeah I mean a lot of people are using that though so (laughs) sorry if you're using a blush pink (laughs) we're we're sorry um but I think some of the templates just come that way and so some people just haven't 
change they it. They just go so. with it. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with blush pink, but I think if you do use a color that's not loud like that, that maybe put something with it that is to make it stand out. Yeah. Yeah. It needs to be balanced a bit. But I mean, I mean, a lot of it is just it's hard to read on a computer screen or on your phone. Right. So from the user experience, that's the most critical reason. So happiness, we just want to make sure that people who are coming to our site are feeling good about what they're seeing and they're not getting lost. They can actually read what they're looking at. They can find the recipe card. The colors are agreeing with them. Is there anything else that we have not covered about happiness? I mean, I think that's a good overview of it. I mean, with all of this stuff, I could go on for days, right? So... (laughs) (laughs) we only have so much time yeah and I think once you put all this together if you really um, take some time to sit down and maybe think through how you're going to work on all of these steps like hopefully you kind of come away with this plan where you don't feel so much like search engines are the only way and maybe you can start thinking through I mean anyone not you, Megan, <laughs> you're um, lecturing me. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just start thinking through other ways to monetize beyond that, and maybe start thinking through like you can create different products, you can create different things that will really work. You know, within this framework, I think will just help you develop some of those things too, and figure out different ways to go. Because, like we talked about at the beginning, I, I search engine traffic is just so is so volatile it's not a great thing to base your business off because you have no control and I think the more food bloggers there are the more food bloggers keep putting out two recipes a week like it's just kind of cannibalizing itself so I, I think the focus needs to shift into just creating your community and really coming up with great products for them and you know they can all be recipe based but just kind of getting food bloggers minds off of the blogging part specifically because it can look like a variety of different things if the core of what you want to do is provide recipes to people and provide teaching on how to cook or you know whatever that is it can kind of take different forms just thinking that all through just pretend there isn't even google and try to figure out what you would do that is so hard for a lot of people because... That's just one thing. I, I know. Mean, one of many. Yep, you're right. Millions of people have businesses without... I've actually... <laughs> when when I was doing more with just making websites for clients, I had clients say... I had one specifically say, we don't want any SEO. We don't... This wasn't a food... This wasn't a blog, right? It's a... They like make doors and windows and things. We don't want SEO. We don't care about any of that. We already have a bunch of clients. We don't even want to be on SEO. Of course, that doesn't make sense. They don't know what they're saying. But, right? Like, it's like I've had these both perspectives where I'm making websites for people who are like, we don't even want that. And now I'm working with food bloggers who are like, this is the whole thing, right? So, like, they're, you know, clearly your business is web-based and so it's different than these other people but there's still a variety of ways to make money and make a profit that is not so focused on search engines seo and even pinterest i mean i do clearly i think these things should still be a part of what you're doing but just i think it's a good exercise if everybody just pretends that pinterest and google don't exist how would you still make money i think that would be a challenge for a lot of people but i do think it's really important for us to all just know and believe that our blogs are so much more than just SEO or Pinterest fill in the blank. And that I guess there are a lot of elements here going on that we've talked about today, Bethany. So I mean, there is, there's a lot. I mean, I kind of started with my frustration, which is what the heck does the user want? Do they want all this information or do they not? And there's really not even a clear cut answer to that because it could depend, it could change depending on the day or their mood or whether it's a holiday or a weeknight. So I guess just making it as easy as we can. And you gave a few solutions to that. Jump to Using the jump to recipe button is a great one. 
because people can see that right away. If they don't want all of the information that we're providing in the post, they can just go right to the recipe. But if they do want to see it, they can browse through it. And then you also mentioned things like having a recipe card that stands out and just thinking through those little things. So it's there's not just like a single answer to the question, what does the user want? And what? how do we please the user? There's so much. But I do think that you provided a lot of really great information within here. And the heart framework does a good job of capturing most of that. Also, I liked that you went through that backward because that is totally how I operate with everything is just thinking of like, what is my end goal? What do I want to accomplish? And then working backward to make sure that end goal is completed instead of starting with the beginning and then you kind of get lost. So I think just really knowing what that end goal is and understanding what each of those words mean. I also liked Bethany that you pointed out food bloggers are really great at adoption. (laughs) I think that is like most of us are excellent at that, but the opportunities lie within the retention. So I am going to personally um, just keep that at the top of my mind all the time. Like, how can I retain? We are not always thinking about that as food bloggers, and I think we should be. So we've covered a lot of really great stuff. Is there anything before we say goodbye that you want to add before we do that? I just say that it is. There's a lot of stuff. (laughs) You know, I mean it's a full-time job doing stuff like this, not, you know, not just the recipe creation part of it, right? But all of this digital marketing type thing. So yes, it's a lot. Just pick like what you want to focus on for this next month or two and focus on that. I think trying to do everything just gets really overwhelming. And so if you want to build your email list, focus on that. If you want to build your Instagram, you know, just figure out kind of what it is. I'd say focus in the retention area because I think that's where a lot of growth can happen. And, you know, just dive in and do that and just be encouraged that you'll figure it out. And you're not alone. (laughs) We're all dealing with this. Even, I mean, if you look through any of the forums from the end of 2019, you see even the biggest, most successful bloggers with tons of traffic, are they're even dealing with, with the user SEO frustration, you're not alone. We're all dealing with this, trying to sort through it. And then I love your recommendation, Bethany, to do kind of one or two things at a time so that we can avoid frustration and burnout because the more frustrated we get with all of the things we have to do, the more likely we're just going to throw in the towel and get burnt out. If people just keep thinking, what can I do to, to be ranked higher? I mean, you'll just kind of go in this like spiraling pit of trying to figure things out. I don't think pits can spiral, so that didn't make sense. <laughs> but, you know, like if you focus on, say, retention and figuring out ways to retain users, that's something you have much more control over. And that's something, you know, you can take courses on email list or, you know, really focus on using a prepare app or, you know, just whatever. I think that's much more controllable and then just is not as stressful doing it that way. It's more productive too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Take away the stress and be productive while you're doing it. Yeah. Sounds so easy, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well, this was really great. I hope that this is really helpful for food bloggers, especially since uh, considering all that we've been through in the past few months. And who knows what's in store? I mean, it just seemed like more and more updates and algorithm changes kept coming. It was like they were increasing with intensity and 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 also in quantity. So, I mean, I none of us know what to expect, but you know, do what we can. I mean, the thing is too, like one thing like in Google's mind or whatever could be a little change, but it could really impact all of food bloggers because it's something related to that, you know, so it could just be the small thing. Yeah. But hang in there. And I mean, things could, you know, totally change. We're talking about this one app. I mean, there could be some other app that just appears and is like the thing that everybody starts doing. And, you know, so just be like, be ready for that stuff, you know? Yeah. Be on the lookout. Well, thank you, Bethany, for sharing your amazing wisdom. I 
love everything you have to say and always value your words. So thanks for being here today and for taking the time out. I really appreciate it. And I know that you've been on the show before. This is your second time, but do you have another quote or more words of inspiration to share with food bloggers? I think I sort of summarized it before. I just stick with it. It's a lot of work, but hang in there. It'll pay off (laughs) eventually. Yes. You're not alone. Yes, I love it. Even outside the food blogging world, there's people doing this stuff, struggling with the same stuff. Great. Well, I will list Bethany's resources from this episode on her show notes page, and those can be found at eatblogtalk.com forward slash Bethany Smith 2. Bethany, tell my listeners the best place to find you online. So the best place is instagram or my website my website is foodblogusability.com and then on instagram i try to be pretty active on there although these past few months i haven't quite as much but um katia marketing is my handle because that's my actual business name so you can find me on there go to the website and you can find me they did want to mention i don't know if you're gonna ask about this but i have um i do site audits too around Uh, the user experience and the heart method. And I have a full one and a mini one. Um, So you can go to my website, foodblogusability.com and find out more about that too. Awesome. Yeah, and they're worthwhile. I got a mini one and wow, lots of insight in those. So I highly recommend doing that. Thanks, yeah. And the mini one focuses a lot on the happiness metric. So a lot of the kind of design stuff, so... So cool. Yep. Very valuable information. So thanks again, Bethany, for being here. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.